You're listening to the Course Report Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Course Report is the most complete resource for coding boot camps. On our site, we have thousands of reviews, hundreds of interviews, and a full directory of every coding boot camp around the world. On our podcast, we're sharing everything you need to stay up to date on this blossoming industry. Whether you're a boot camp founder or a future student, we hope you'll learn something on the Course Report Podcast. Welcome to the June 2021 Coding Bootcamp News Roundup. I'm Liz. And I'm Jess. And we are from the Course Report team. So we spend our days helping students choose the best coding bootcamps for them. But each month we take a step back, we round up all of the most interesting bootcamp industry news that we read about and chatted about in the Course Report office, and we share it with you. So first off, happy Pride Month. Throughout June, we updated our LGBTQ plus scholarship roundup with all the latest scholarships like Design Lab's Diversified Design Scholarship and V School's You Belong in Tech Scholarship. We'll link to that in our June news roundup so you can find the right scholarship for you. Yes, and we also released our 2021 list of the 32 best online boot camps on Course Report this June. I know everyone waits for us to announce these lists each year, and we love putting them together. But remember that this is just a place to start your research. You should also be attending info sessions, asking about alumni outcomes, and reading reviews as you do your research. That's just my two cents. So Jess, what else are we going to chat about on this episode of the podcast? So we're going to kick off this episode talking about coding bootcamp fundraises, IPOs, new ISA programs, and some regulatory news that started brewing this month. Scott Jones from 1150 will join to talk through some innovative ISA legislation that becomes law on July 1st. It seems like everyone is talking about the shortage of tech workers and the underlying causes for that right now. So we're going to dive into all of the news that we read about hiring, reskilling, upskilling, and diversifying, and the coding boot camps that are leading the charge. Plus, the college versus coding boot camp debate resurfaced this month, and we'll dig into that a bit as well this episode. And of course, we're going to tell you about the 12 new coding boot camps that we added to the course report directory in June. We're going to start this episode with fundraises and IPOs, but first, Liz, who is new to the Springboard executive team? Yahoo News reports that Springboard has a few new faces on their governing board. Andrew Mowers has been appointed as Springboard's new president of consumer business, and Ryan Fong is the new CFO. Springboard says that it saw over 200% year-over-year growth in enrollments in 2020, so it's gearing up to continue expanding its partnerships and impact. And it's official. Pluralsight has filed for its initial public offering as reported by EdSurge. Back in 2014, the Utah-based Pluralsight landed $135 million in Series B funding and then scooped up an additional $30 million at $1 billion valuation in 2016, and that propelled it to its unicorn status. Pluralsight provides online tech courses such as software engineering and design through a subscription-based model to thousands of companies and then millions of learners worldwide. Pluralsight isn't exactly a coding bootcamp, but we'll keep you updated on the ways that they continue to grow after the IPO. 
And Miami-based Four Geeks Academy announced a $10 million financing round in June. This is a growth financing round led by LEAF, and they'll use that money to expand its ISA tuition financing program for students. That growth financing trend is getting quite popular. Remember that Burlington Code School closed a $10 million round in February, and Victory Lap closed a $25 million round in January, both of those through LEAF. So next up, we want to cover some regulatory news, but let's keep talking about income share agreements because ISAs and regulations seem to be inextricably linked. Liz, what else do we hear in June about ISAs? Well, in New Delhi, EdTech company Skill Enable has adopted an ISA program to help folks break into data science in India. Skill Enable provides 100% live online courses, and India Education Diary reported that Skill Enable's ISA program includes career counseling and that graduates of the online bootcamp will have access to Skill Enable's hiring partners. While Olympic Career Training Institute is not a coding bootcamp provider, they actually train students on the ins and outs of commercial truck driving. We were interested to see that they announced a new ISA program through their lending partner, LEAF. Yes, it's always interesting to see what other education verticals are adding ISAs to their financing options. There was also a Forbes article that just got published today about how so many universities and colleges are offering ISAs. It gave kind of a nice ISA overview for folks interested in the university space. But one of the most interesting articles in June, I thought, came from IBJ, the Indianapolis Business Journal. And it's about the new Career Accelerator Fund in Indiana. which goes into law on July 1st, just coming up in a couple of days. You know, there's so much demand for income sharing agreements these days, but this has also become a whole industry in itself because private companies are earning interest on these ISAs. um, And the Career Accelerator Fund rethinks that model. It was started by 1150 Academy, which is a boot camp in Indiana that's run by Scott Jones. Scott is actually with us today to talk through how the Career Accelerator Fund works They call this a progressive ISA or a PISA as well, and why it's a model that other states and boot camps should be paying attention to. So, Scott, thank you for joining us. And tell us how the Career Accelerator Fund is different from a typical ISA. I was contemplating using traditional ISAs at 1150 Academy, and after studying them for about a year, I decided that there were just a lot of flaws in ISAs as currently structured. And, you know, obviously the attorney general in California and Congress are paying a lot of attention to an unregulated space. And uh, I thought, well, gee, there's something to this, the concept that, you know, don't saddle students with student debt, but um, have another financial instrument that has institutions having skin in the game, you know, with the student. And that the student shouldn't have to pay, you know, for that that skills training or that education unless they, you know, got sufficiently prepared to go get a job that pays well and a, and a career that is high impact and high value. And I thought, well, what if we make it so that uh, the student is paying no interest whatsoever and that as soon as they've paid back the principal, they're done. And that education, you know, should be the lowest possible cost. So 
don't just double or triple the tuition in order to get around the interest payment uh, issue, uh, but actually keep the price you know low, but the the quality of the education high, meaning that the outcomes should be you know equivalent to a four-year computer science degree in terms of graduation rate, placement rate, starting compensation, career compensation, all of those are the metrics that should stay the same. But can you do it, say, 16 times faster and have the student not owe anything unless they get that high-paying job? So how do you do that? And so that's what the PISA is designed to do. It's a no-interest financial instrument that looks a little bit like an ISA, except it doesn't go, you know, on for four or eight years. It goes until you pay back the principal at 0% interest, 0% APR. And it's only 5% of your gross income, which I don't know any ISAs that are that low. So for the last two and a half years, we've been operating a career accelerator fund. But what is happening in a few days is that the career accelerator fund becomes law. And the very unique thing about this legislation is I'm not aware of legislation in Indiana and possibly, you know, not in any states that actually talks about training in terms of uh, rather than a piece of paper on the wall and, you know, butts in seats, talks about training in terms of outcomes, in terms of placement rate into real jobs that pay well and have a high paying career. And that's what's written into this law. And in addition to that, the income of those successful students that get placed into a high-paying job, the incremental income drives state taxes, and all of those incremental state taxes go back into the fund. That's what makes up for the no interest. And that's how a state raises itself up by its bootstraps Mm -hmm. in in a new economy that many Midwestern states are not participating in. But if all of a sudden you can increase incomes and state revenue off of state taxes and the state's willing to reinvest that, that changes everything. And how are training programs held accountable for outcomes? And when could a student potentially use the uh, Career Accelerator Fund? Right. I started a 501c3 called the Career Accelerator Fund. We've already been processing millions of dollars through TISAs for uh, two years. And the state, the legislation that was uh, primarily authored by me, is holding uh, this new Career Accelerator Fund accountable to the outcomes of the students in order for them to get the funds and hold the training providers accountable. Now, within the law, there's you know lots of latitude for the administrative organization, which is called InvestEd, to create policy to fulfill you know, the spirit of that law. And so that's what's getting done right now. And it's probably going to take them two or three months, but I'm told by the president that it'll happen in September uh, to actually have it running uh, and that there would be training providers approved at that time, which uh, probably would include 1150 since we stood up the original career accelerator fund and we've been meeting the metrics. So um, it likely will include 1150, but it, you know, it wouldn't have become law if it wasn't going to include other programs as well. 
So do you see this as a model that other states or boot camps should be paying attention to or even emulating? Right. I hope so. Uh, you know, we feel like this is, uh, we've already run a pilot pilot for two years. Right. And now we've involved, you know, a legislative aspect with state tax dollars, which we're piloting that part of it. But we already know that the PISA mechanism works and it works really well. And it works well for training providers that deliver the goods, which is jobs that pay well and careers that pay well. And as long as that's happening, these kinds of programs really will work and can be self-sustaining. And they don't saddle the student with, you know, loan shark rates like some of the original ISAs were doing. You know, that was the big problem. Or to set the threshold for payback at $20,000, which is, you know, poverty level in most states and, you know, below minimum wage in most states. That's not, you know, training providers putting no skin in the game. If you set right. the threshold for payback at twenty grand, ours is forty-two thousand, and in the state legislation, it's actually a little higher than that, and it grows over time. So, you know, this is putting training providers, getting training providers to put skin in the game, you know, with the students to go get and employers to go achieve, you know, jobs that pay well. Our intention is to take it into other states and mm -hmm. to help other states achieve it. And, and we've learned a lot along the way. So I think we could be you know, helpful as other states are trying to turn this up or at the federal level, there could be some work you know, that gets done you know, potentially in Congress uh, as they look at how to regulate ISAs. You know, perhaps this mechanism actually takes away the reasons. You know, uh, obviously, it should be regulated no matter what. But a lot of those reasons for <laughs> jumping into regulation may be better managed through a mechanism like this. Thanks to Scott for explaining how the Career Accelerator Fund works. It's clear that this legislation understands that ISAs need to be regulated and actually does that in an innovative way. In other regulatory news, the Student Borrower Protection Center published a report in June that criticized the partnerships between public universities and coding boot camps like Trilogy Education because they're advertising private lending companies to students to cover tuition. Of course, because these programs aren't eligible for federal student loans, many students do take out private loans to attend them. Right. But those private lenders, I think, after reading this report and, and also the Washington Post article that accompanied it, those private lenders don't seem to be violating any of the existing regulations in place. And so I think the question should actually be, are students able to pay back that loan after graduating from one of these programs? And the SBPC is calling for a ton of regulation, but no actual like next steps or real recommendations. And so I wanted to talk about this article in conjunction with the piece about the Career Accelerator Fund, because that's an actual solution that prioritizes outcomes-based student lending. And I, I just thought, you know, the SBPC report and the Washington Post article kind of left me a bit frustrated, but the Career Accelerator Fund makes me very hopeful that regulation in this space can work for students, schools, and the government. And that's who it's got to work for. Mm -hmm. 
So that career accelerator fund is one way that state governments can think about retraining. But Jess, we also read about how the U.S. Chamber of Commerce is thinking about retraining, how employers and in-house training programs could approach the tech worker shortage, and how partnering with boot camps can be an easy way to retrain your current workforce. So let's dive into that news. In early June, HR Dive reported that the U.S. Chamber of Commerce launched the America Works Initiative. America Works is all about making policy changes at federal and state levels to address a deepening worker shortage crisis. These policy changes would increase the number of visas available for immigrants, expand access to affordable childcare, improve federal investment in job training programs, and expand employer-side solutions like employer training programs. In Forbes this June, Tigran Soyan wrote about the developer shortage in 2021. Tigran is the CEO of CodeSignal, which is an automated technical assessment platform. So their perspective is that instead of scanning resumes, a coding assessment should be the first step in the hiring process. And that we can you know, often oversimplify this developer shortage problem by just saying, simply like there aren't enough developers. But Soyan says that it's more complicated than that and says, quote, there are millions of people out there who, despite not having a formal education, have achieved an admirable skill level, but are getting passed over because most companies are still relying on resumes alone to tell them the full story. In order to solve this, employers need to expand their search radius and change their hiring practices. That's right, Liz. Um, Fortune did a piece this month on how that hiring process needs to be adapted ASAP in this tight labor market. The U.S. Labor Department reported 8.1 million open positions in the U.S., which is the largest in recorded history. So we're now seeing big companies like Google, IBM, Microsoft, and Apple either dropping that four-year degree requirement or evaluating prospective hires on their experience, projects, or through their own assessments. This is especially good news for digital skills bootcamp alumni who probably don't have a CS degree but are looking to land their first tech job and then climb the tech ladder. The Fortune article highlights Memphis-based nonprofit bootcamp Code Crew, which is not only helping those people who cannot afford college still receive an education, but they're also diversifying the tech pipeline while they're at it too. And upskilling is top of mind for those in human resources right now. The Society for Human Resources Management recently reported that more than half of its members are interested in partnering with other employers, colleges, and community and industry groups in order to recruit and train current and future employees. And that 20% of employers plan to increase their training budget. Inside Higher Ed also reported that employer-funded learning is really hitting its stride in June. Unlike the 2008 recession, which halted employer-led training programs, the 2020 recession only spurred investment into upskilling and retraining. A good example of this is Guild Education. Guild Education, which manages companies' tuition benefits programs by matching workers with programs like boot camps, um, just saw an additional investment of $150 million, which values the company now at $3.75 billion, up from about a billion in 2019. Companies like Guild are exploding right now because companies have two choices right now. Basically, they can build out their own bespoke training programs, or they can loop in a pro like coding boot camps or Guild Education to manage employee tuition benefits and programs. 
And Sifted EU, which is part of the Financial Times, dug into some of those in-house developer training programs in Europe this month. According to McKinsey, there is a 1.7 million person technical skills shortage in Europe, and Sifted acknowledges that there are many boot camps that are already filling that gap. General Assembly, Makers Academy, La Wagon, uh, Ecole 42, and Flatiron School in Europe. But now companies like Spotify and Deliveroo are actually setting up their own in-house boot camps. Uh, Liz, could you share a few examples of that? Of course. So Sifted included the Delivery Hero Tech Academy, which also offers an internship salary while you're in the program. SoundCloud's Developer Bridge, which is for people in Berlin from underrepresented and marginalized communities, and Spotify's Tech Fellowship, which they say would be perfect for recent coding bootcamp graduates. So we actually have a roundup on Course Report of many bridge programs and kind of internship programs like this, and we'll include a link to that in the blog post because I think this could actually be uh, super helpful for folks in Europe and in the U.S. So with all of this news about how technical, practical skills are crucial in 2021, Tech Republic explored whether it's still worth it for coding bootcamp students to learn programming theory. Big tech companies frequently make their hiring decisions based on a candidate's understanding of theoretical programming fundamentals, which is geared towards the knowledge base of university-taught CS grads, but can be a little tricky for career changers or coding bootcamp grads who may have focused their study on a certain language or tech stack. Tech Republic did a deep dive into this quandary in a post this month, and the takeaway we got from it is this. Yes, companies should refine their hiring process to test for practical knowledge and less theoretical, but that isn't going to happen overnight. So bootcamp grads and career changers will probably still have to brush up on theory to just come across strong in their tech interviews. Well, we typically think of universities as the place to learn that computer science theory, and McLean's also took up the college versus coding bootcamp debate this month. With the new pressure on getting people job ready really quickly, they're asking, are college degrees still relevant? And Jeremy Shockey of Lighthouse Labs was included in this article. He points out that there is room for both university learning and coding boot camps right now. Jeremy says, quote, we are not trying to replace universities. There's a reason those long-term educational experiences give you a chance to discover who you are, build connections, know your opportunities. Our goal is to support that with continuous learning, getting you flexibility within your job and growth. McLean's reminds us that in the early days of coding boot camps, educational programs under 40 hours or costing less than two grand were exempt from the requirements of Canada's Ministry of Colleges and Universities Private Career Colleges Act. Um, and that act governs private vocational training to ensure accountability and quality and protect a student's investment of time and money. Some coding boot camps, like Juno College of Technology and Lighthouse Labs, voluntarily registered with the ministry, which gave them an actual added benefit of allowing bootcamp students access to student loans in Canada. Very cool. Yes, I remember when they were doing that. And that McLean's post also includes a lot of great bootcamp alumni voices from BrainStation, Juno, College of Technology, Lighthouse Labs, and General Assembly. So we definitely recommend checking it out if you want to read through all of those different student experiences as well. J. 
Jacob Owens published a fantastic update about zip code Wilmington for the Delaware Business Times in June. I learned a lot about how zip code survived the past year of the pandemic and put students first as they trudged through 2020. Even though COVID-19 upended the in-person instruction model and hiring pipeline, zip code executive director Dessa Burton said she knew employers would return to hiring for tech roles. Yeah, they got a grant through Corporate Partners and Newcastle County's Innovation Grant Program, as well as the U.S. Small Business Administration's Paycheck Protection Program, which is the PPP. And they got CARES Act funding through Governor John Carney's $10 million Forward Delaware Initiative. And interestingly, Zip Code said that they actually decreased the size of its cohorts through the pandemic, dropping from about 35 students to around 15 students because they were only accepting as many students as they believed they could actually place in jobs after graduation. We've been particularly interested in nonprofit boot camps like Zip Code Wilmington recently, and we actually published around up of all of the nonprofit boot camps in the U.S. There are eight of these. Zip code is included in that. So give it a read. Uh, we'll put a link in the blog post that goes with this podcast episode. And finally, according to an Indeed.com survey, 25% of unemployed job seekers are looking to change careers. So with that in mind, Reuters did a great breakdown on how to relaunch your career as the world reopens post-pandemic. Some of their tips include building out detailed plans for successfully making that career change, shaking up any old routines so you can start fresh with new habits, and setting dates for your career goals to help keep you focused and motivated. Liz, as we mentioned before, we've been promoting a bunch of boot camp scholarships for LGBTQ plus students in honor of Pride Month, but what other kinds of diversity and tech initiatives did we see this month? Well, first, the Lansing State Journal reports that Michigan State University and Apple will partner to develop North America's first Apple Developer Academy in downtown Detroit. Apple Developer Academy will teach coding, design, and entrepreneurship free of tuition, and students will be paid a stipend and get a computer to use during the program, thanks to a grant from the Gilbert Family Foundation. And Apple Academy is part of Apple's Racial Equality and Justice Initiative, and that aims to improve access to the tech sector in communities of color and diversify the tech and entrepreneurship industries. Fox News highlighted G-Code House, a coding program just outside of Boston aimed at helping local folks, especially women of color, break into tech. G-Code House founder Bridget Wallace has now raised enough money to renovate an eight-bedroom house in the area where 14 young women and non-binary people of color will live while learning to code. So this sounds like a really awesome opportunity for any Roxbury folks, and we're excited to see it grow. Definitely. And Technically reports that Boston-based nonprofit Resilient Coders is expanding its free, equity-focused coding bootcamp to Pittsburgh. Resilient Coders has a 20-week bootcamp that's aimed at training people of color without a college degree and also offers its students a stipend to offset living costs during the training. Resilient Coders' first Pittsburgh cohort launches on July 12th and is receiving support from the Richard King Mellon Foundation. 
And Phnom Penh Post reports that in the Philippines, telecommunications company Cellcard is sponsoring 10 full-ride scholarships to the full-stack coding bootcamp Sabai Code. If you're based in the Philippines and looking to get into tech, applications for this scholarship are open until July 17th, so don't wait. We read news throughout all of June about new campuses and verticals in the bootcamp world. Jess, let's start with some new university partnerships. The University of North Dakota announced a new partnership with Promeneo Tech this month. Starting this summer, UND will be offering coding and data engineering boot camps. Promeneo Tech has also partnered with Elgin Community College in Chicago to offer coding and data engineering boot camps as well. Cleveland State University has partnered with Full Stack Academy to offer part-time coding, cybersecurity, and data analytics boot camps to Ohio. Cybent has partnered with third-party security risk management software Panarays to enhance Cybent's cybersecurity bootcamp. With this new Panarays curriculum edition, Cybent will prepare future cyber professionals to protect against cybersecurity breaches such as that solar winds attack that we saw. Coding Dojo has launched a new part-time online cybersecurity bootcamp. The bootcamp will prepare students for entry-level careers in IT and network security. And Coding Dojo also announced a partnership with Ramallah-based Axos Academy this month. With unemployment at 43% in Ramallah, this partnership aims to train young Palestinians for successful tech careers. Springboard has partnered with the University of South Florida to offer online UI and UX design, cybersecurity, and software engineering boot camps. The first cohorts for the UI UX design and that cybersecurity boot camp will kick off on August 2nd, and then the software engineering boot camp will have its first cohort in early 2022. And finally, Digital Crafts is expanding. Digital Crafts announced this month that they will be offering a tech bootcamp in Austin, Texas. Digital Crafts has partnered with Capital Factory to provide the space and local resources for Austin-based students. And Austin students will also be able to enroll in Digital Crafts live online hybrid training. And of course, we wouldn't end this podcast without telling you all about the new schools and our bootcamp listings. We added 12 new schools to the course report directory this month. Let's tell our listeners about those, Liz. The online sales bootcamp Sales Platoon and Higher Training are now on course report. For new university bootcamps, we've added the University of Adelaide Coding Bootcamp and Monash University Bootcamps, which are both run by Trilogy. We've also added Westcliff University Full Stack Coding Bootcamp, which is taught by Westcliff University instructors. We added Cybersecurity Bootcamps Caps Lock and Cyber University and Game Dev HQ, which helps people learn how to code and create their own video games. Full Stack Web Development Bootcamp Coding Ninjas and Java Bootcamp Cogent University are now in our listings. And we've added online bootcamp Talent Sumo and Full Stack Developer Bootcamp 01 Founders to Course Report. So, welcome to all of those schools. And if you graduated from one of those 12 new schools, then please go to Course Report and leave a review. Let's wrap up this episode by talking about our favorite blog posts to work on for the Course Report blog this month. Jess, what was your favorite blog post that you published? 
Um, first, I just want to give a shout out to some guides that I created um, with some schools. I worked on a beginner's guide to data viz with Lighthouse Labs and then a beginner's guide to user research with the Trilogy 2U team. And those are both really awesome. But my favorite Q&A this month was with Dev Mountain alumni, Travis. So Travis actually graduated from Dev Mountain eight years ago, just as Dev Mountain had started. So we had so many insights on what the tech career trajectory is actually like for coding bootcamp grads. Before making a career change into software engineering, Travis was actually a tech recruiter, and now he's a senior front-end developer who is hiring new developers. So he also has so much amazing advice for bootcamp grads on how to stand out and not get bullied by your own imposter syndrome. So definitely check out this Q&A if you've been wondering if a coding bootcamp is really worth it. And Liz, what was your favorite piece to work on this month? Well, mine was also an alumni spotlight. I got to work on this video Q&A with two alumni from Codesmith in June. Lon Ray, who did the part-time bootcamp because he's based in Nigeria and he had a lot of other family obligations. And Andy, who did the full-time immersive because she just wanted to focus and work really hard for 12 weeks, graduate and get a job. So They both took different routes. They did part-time and full-time, but they both ended up in really good jobs. Andy is a software engineer at Google and Lonry is a senior software engineer at Exodus Movement. I think this is a great interview for anyone who's trying to decide between a full-time versus a part-time bootcamp and just really cool to hear how they made it so far in their career in really a very short amount of time. And that does it for our June podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Keep checking in on Course Report for the latest about online bootcamp opportunities. And we'll see you next month on the July 2021 Coding Bootcamp News Roundup. And as always, we love feedback. So email us your thoughts at hello at coursereport.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, help other future boot campers find it by going to iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you found this podcast, subscribing to the Course Report podcast and leaving us a review. We'll see you in July. Bye.